are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. Here's Nate. Well, as we turn to 1 Samuel chapter 10, where we're going to observe the private anointing of Saul as the future king of Israel, I am struck by the power of the word of God. It is really and truly a transformative word with power to change and renew and set a fresh course for our lives. At the end of 1 Samuel chapter 9, Samuel announced to Saul as he was leaving the city with Samuel, he said, stop here by yourself for a while that I may make known to you the word of God. You know, the visit that Saul had with Samuel there in the city would have meant nothing had Samuel not proclaimed the word of God to Saul. But upon the proclamation of God's word, Saul's life was changed. And notice how it happened. He simply stopped and listened to the word of God. James, in the context of receiving with meekness the implanted word of God, says, you've got to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. There has to be a discipline of life where we're willing to be still before the Lord. Listen to his word, read it, study it, look intently into it, and God can change our lives in some wonderful and radical ways. And so here in chapter 10, God is going to uh, anoint Saul as the future king of Israel uh, by the hand of his prophet Samuel. Now, uh, Saul is going to be anointed here privately by Samuel. And then at the end of this chapter, he'll be chosen by the casting of lots and then later in chapter 11, he'll be confirmed by public acclamation. So really in one sense, because he's the first king in Israel, it's a three-part selection process. So it says in verse 1, Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you? to be prince over his people, Israel. And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be the prince over his heritage. When you depart from me today, you'll meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah, and they will say to you, the donkeys that you went to seek are found, and now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, what shall I do about my son? So Samuel, in declaring this over Saul, takes this flask of oil. Now, in the Old Testament, the oil was representative of the Holy Spirit, who would now come upon Saul and empower him at various points for the kingship, for the work of ministry that God had asked him to do. And the fascinating thing, of course, is that 
Samuel when he went to anoint David years later as the next future king in Israel would anoint him not with a flask of oil but with a horn of oil poured out upon David's head. And so Saul is anointed by the Lord and then Samuel says listen you'll know that this is going to come to pass when you see this particular sign when I let you go there will be these men who come to you to tell you about your uh, father's donkeys and then he'll go on to tell them and then there will be three men that you meet who give you some bread and then finally you'll meet a procession of prophets at Gibeah and so in verse 3 we have the specific details of this event he goes on of course to detail some of the signs that will come he says then you shall go on from there farther and come to the oak of Tabor Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. So again, the meeting with the three prophesied of. After that, you shall come to Gibeath Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you have come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And so evidently the anointing of oil from Samuel's flask really truly was a picture of the anointing of the Spirit of the Lord coming upon Saul. That was the promise of verse 6. At the end of these three signs that Saul would receive, the Spirit of the Lord would rush upon him and he would prophesy with the prophets and be turned into another man. Now, in the New Testament, of course, we have a different relationship with the Holy Spirit. When we give our lives to Christ, we're born again by the Spirit of the Lord. The Holy Spirit becomes the down payment or the deposit, the guarantee that we are God's children and that we are his purchased possession. And we become the house of the Holy Spirit, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit resides permanently inside the life of every believer in Christ Jesus. It doesn't appear that that was the relationship that they had in the Old Testament era with the Holy Spirit. You might remember that there was a promise made concerning the Holy Spirit in the book of John that out of our hearts would flow rivers of living water. But John gave an editorial note to that comment about the Holy Spirit when he said, and this he said of the Holy Spirit whom had not yet been given because he, being Jesus, had not yet been glorified. And so apparently what it took for mankind to be indwelt permanently by the Holy Spirit was the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, followed by his ascension back to glory. And so he says, uh, you know, that's the event that will occur. So in the Old Testament era, it appears that there were moments that a select group of people in the Old Testament era would be filled or empowered by the Spirit for a specific task. 
a specific moment in time, and then the uh, filling of the Spirit or the Spirit of God upon them would depart and they would go back to their normal state, but that there would be times where they would be anointed or the Spirit of the Lord would rush upon them for a particular work. And here the Spirit of the Lord would rush upon Saul for the very first time in order for him to prophesy with these prophets and be turned into another man. The fascinating thing to me is that it appears, as you read the book of Acts, that New Testament believers actually still can have that kind of relationship with the Holy Spirit as well. In other words, we are now indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but just as in eras of the past, there are also times when we are uniquely filled with the Spirit and He comes upon our lives for works of service, specific moments when we need the power of the Spirit to endure persecution or minister to someone in need or use the spiritual gifts that God has given us to uh, use. Jesus had said to his disciples, the Holy Spirit is with you. One day he will be in you. After he rose from the dead, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. After that moment, he then said, one day the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It appears that there is also this relationship where the Holy Spirit can come upon us for power to perform the work of ministry that God has asked us to perform. That makes sense when you consider passages like in Luke chapter 11, when Jesus said that we're to ask and to seek and to knock, our Father you know, knows how to give us good gifts and our Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. If the only relationship we have with the Holy Spirit today is simply that we're indwelt by his presence upon conversion, then when in the world would we ever ask for the Holy Spirit? But I believe that there are moments in life where we need to minister, we need to serve others, sometimes very grand moments and sometimes very meek and humble and quiet moments where we need the Spirit of the Lord to come upon us and like Saul, turn us into another man, enable us for the task that's in front of us. And that's what was beginning to occur in Saul's life, empowered for the work of ministry. Now, when these signs, verse 7, Samuel speaking to Saul, when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I am coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. And so it appears here that Samuel is giving Saul a sober warning. You remember last time in chapter uh, 9, we saw that the young women announced to Saul that, hey, when you go up to the prophet's feast, you better wait because he's the one that has to bless and offer the sacrifice. And in that moment, Saul had to wait. Here, Samuel announces to Saul that, listen, there's going to come a point where we go up to Gilgal. You're going to have to wait for me for seven days. 
wait for me to arrive and only I will offer that sacrifice. I'll tell you what you are to do at that particular moment. So you can't say that he hasn't received a warning or received the pattern, but eventually his impatience will get the best of him as we'll see once we get to chapter 13. Now, after all of these announcements, it says in verse nine, that when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. I've always loved that line from the Lord. God gave him another heart. There was a different heart required. A heart transplant was required in order for Saul to really effectively serve as the king of the nation of Israel. These were God's people. And there had to be a real transformation that occurred inside of him. And it's wonderful when you see God do this in a legitimate way in someone's life. Paul the Apostle has always struck me as a man who really did receive another heart, became a different man entirely upon his conversion experience. I mean, my goodness, when he writes to the Thessalonians of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he talks of himself like a compassionate father and a nursing mother for this group of infant believers. And it's just amazing because you can read of what he was before his conversion. He was thirsty for the blood of Christians. There was no paternal or maternal instinct inside of him, but he had been changed by God. So this is a description of a man who God transforms at this particular moment. I look at this and I just desire in my heart to continually receive another heart from the Lord, to be filled with the Spirit, to be strengthened, to grow, to be different. And all these signs came to pass that day. When they came to Gibeah, verse 10, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, of course, just as Samuel had prophesied. And he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And a man of the place answered, And who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? And when he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. Now, this is interesting. This little proverb gets started at this uh, particular moment. First of all, you have to observe there in verse 11 that everybody who knew Saul previously, uh, they were shocked by this whole situation. What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And I've just found in scripture and also through personal experience that at times the people who know us best, who have seen us in our previous state before we gave our lives to the Lord and began to be called by him, those are the folks who have the most difficult time receiving what God is doing and has done through our lives. And it seems to have been the same with Saul. Even Jesus could do no mighty work in Nazareth, his hometown, because of their familiarity, their unbelief. 
And Paul, of course, had a very difficult time in Jerusalem with his ministry as he attempted to get going as a believer. They were very skeptical of the thing that they were observing. But Saul, nonetheless, even though there are these doubters, he goes and he prophesies. And eventually this proverb becomes pretty common in Israel. And the proverb goes like this, is Saul also among the prophets? A question. Now, one view of this proverb is that it simply means or came to me in Israel that when something unexpected, an unexplainable phenomenon or something that kind of raised your eyebrows when it occurred, you would say, is Saul also among the prophets? Just kind of this recognition that, hey, you know, sometimes an unexpected thing occurs. I've always personally taken it as if God can use Saul to prophesy, God can use anyone to prophesy. You know, kind of like, well, hey, you know, even Saul was among the prophets there for a little while. And so if that's the case, then I want to be a walking proverb encouraging people to be used by the Lord. Now, verse 14, Saul's uncle said to him and to his servant, where did you go? And he said to seek the donkeys. And when we saw that they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, please tell me what Samuel told you. Now notice Saul's response. It's curious. Saul said to his uncle, verse 16, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found, but about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. Now, of course, it doesn't tell us why Saul refused or kept the matter about the kingdom and the anointing from Samuel away from his uncle. Perhaps he was waiting to tell his father first. Perhaps there was just a real lack of faith and disbelief in his heart. Maybe like many of us naturally would. It was just difficult to tell your family news like that. Maybe you're just still considering it. But for whatever reason, he doesn't tell his uncle. Now in verse 17, Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. This was really a favorite place for assembly of the people of Israel in Samuel's day. And he went and he said, verse 18, to the people of Israel, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. So Samuel speaks very straightforwardly with the nation. And he lets them know, listen, you are the ones that have rejected your God who saves you. But just a shame because what he's alluding to, of course, is their history. God has saved you time and time again. He's been faithful to you. And now you've moved away from him in part because you've forgotten the salvation that comes and has come from the Lord. This reminds a believer in Christ, of course, to never forget what Jesus has done for you. Always remember the cross of Calvary. Embrace it. Set it firm in front of your eyes. Let it be the song of your heart, the thing that you rejoice over. Because the second that you forget that wonderful blessing of the gospel, you'll begin to drift. 
Then Samuel, verse 20, brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. So they're casting lots here in order to discover Saul, and the Lot chooses first the tribe of Benjamin here in verse 20. It's taken by Lot. Probably what we're dealing with here is the Urim and the Thummim, something they use in the Old Testament. It literally means lights and perfections. We don't know exactly what it was all about or what it looked like, but apparently it had something to do with the breastplate that was attached to the ephod of the high priest. And perhaps through the lights on the breastpiece that had gems signifying each nation in or each uh, tribe in Israel, uh, that uh, perhaps even Benjamin's gem lit up and they knew, okay, God is selecting the tribe of Benjamin. But the Urim and the Thummim, the lights and perfections, whether it was a black dice and a white dice or whatever, it was often used in yes or no situations to determine the mind of God in the Old Testament era. And God would sovereignly oversee the events of the casting of these lots. And so he brought the tribe of Benjamin, verse 21, near by its clans. And the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. Oh, this is interesting. He's not even there at his own uh, ceremony designed to install him or proclaim him as the next king in Israel. Saul is actually uh, just simply absent. And so they inquired again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. So for whatever reason, whether it's fear or embarrassment, Saul really doesn't get off to a wonderful start as the next king of Israel. If uh, you never get a chance to make a first impression, Saul has made a, quite a poor first impression. Uh, there he is, no bravery, but he's hiding amongst all of the luggage, trying to uh, remain anonymous. But Saul would be anonymous no longer. He would be thrust into the public limelight to be used by the Lord. Perhaps I'm taking my liberties in giving an exhortation like this from the life of Saul. I doubt that any of us would want to have his plight, his ministry, or his temperament or track record. However, I think a good exhortation from this would be, listen, when God is calling you, when God is setting his hand upon your life, don't run from his calling. Run to his calling. I know that it's so easy to be embarrassed over what the Lord has confirmed and placed you into, the position that he's given to you, but grab a hold of it and run with it with all of your might. I know for me in my own life, there have been moments and seasons in my life where I've had the position or I've had the ministry. It's been clear that I've been put in that spot of leadership by the Lord. However, there's a hesitancy in my heart to run fully in that calling. And I'm not talking about some foolish bravado 
or an unwillingness to tenderly and sensitively lead people along as they begin to receive your leadership. But I, there have been so many times in my life I wish I had not hidden myself among the baggage, but had stood tall and said, listen, this is what God has asked me to do. It doesn't make me any better than anyone, but I have to be obedient to the Lord. And there was Saul on this first day hiding when he should have been standing tall and saying, follow me. Then they ran, verse 23, and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And so he looked the part. And Samuel said to all the people, verse 24, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And the, all the people shouted, Long live the king. And so the people are so excited about their new king. But Saul would become disqualified very quickly through his own efforts and the things that he had done. And there are some who would say that he was disqualified by the Lord prophetically because God had announced in Genesis 49 that the scepter would not depart from the tribe of Judah. And of course, Saul was a Benjamite. And so he was already there from the beginning, uh, just sort of doomed as the future king of Israel. Then Samuel, verse 25, told the people the rights and duties of the kingship. And he wrote them in a book and laid it up before the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his home. Saul also went to his home at Gibeah, and with him went men of valor whose hearts God had touched. Now that's fascinating. There were some men who were so invested in immediately Saul and his future and his leadership. They just immediately began to follow Saul. God had touched their hearts. This is one of the telltale signs of leadership that when you lead, there are people who God touches their heart to follow. And so he's privately anointed by Samuel at the beginning of the chapter, but now he is publicly accepted by the people. But, verse 27, some worthless fellows said, How can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present, but he held his peace. Listen, there will always be those who do not accept the leadership that God provides. Human beings by nature, we are rebellious, we are self-willed, and there will be some who are so rebellious and so self-willed that they are unable to come under the clear-cut leadership uh, that God provides. If you're waiting for consensus or complete unanimous support in the work that God has asked you to do, you're waiting for something that just won't occur. And so Saul, although anointed and although received by most, was rejected by some, as any leader that God calls will also be. Saul, however, as a result of these worthless fellows, it simply says, held his peace. He noticed, but he stayed quiet. God bless you, and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, 
or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.